everybody, and welcome to the Aggieville Alley Cats podcast. Where come rain, shine, or anything in between, we're here to deliver to you the Kansas State sporting news that you so love. I'm Ace Edwards, right alongside Connor Balthazar. And welcome once again to the weekly recap. And this week's going to be, well, I'm not going to say it's going to be a relatively short one because we say that nearly every single weekly recap and almost all of them are an hour long. But we don't have any recruiting to cover. So we're going to go over men's basketball, women's basketball, then preview the Bat Cats, and then finally the wacky segment of the week. So let's go ahead and start off with men's basketball. First game we're going to talk about is the game in Bramlage up against Texas Tech. This was a 68-58 to victory in favor of your Kansas State Wildcats, a capacity, well, it's announced capacity crowd, you know, oh, yeah. allegedly. The, the olds were, and I understand it was a little, it was, it was a little bit of inclement weather. Caleb, my roommate and I had a, had an adventure getting in because a bunch of GA people snuck into the iCat line. So they literally just banished everyone with iCat tickets to the back of the line. If you want news that's encouraging about student attendance, I guess that's one way to look at it, but onto the actual game itself, (laughs) this was, you know, it, it wasn't, it wasn't a horrible game. You know, Sandstorm has played for the first time in a long while at a men's game. And I feel like that was kind of the, the beginning of the end for Texas Tech. But you can take any, you can take the starter stats for this game. Yeah. So big guy in this game is Marquise Noel. He finishes with 23 points. Wasn't super efficient from the field. He got most of his uh, points at the free throw line, or at least a big chunk of them. Uh, five, five of 12 from... Uh, the field four of 11 from three, nine of 10, uh, the free throw line. He did have eight rebounds, which is just absolutely crazy. Uh, then he had one foul, five assists, three turnovers, two steals, uh, all around, um, had a good, had a pretty solid game. Took some ill-advised shots though. At times, uh, there, there was at least one three that he took in a fast break that I, I don't think that he should have taken. And yeah, no, it's just keys, so though. Yeah, but keys. that's part of it. Uh, Jerome Tang has said it best. You know, you got to let him, you got to let keys be keys. And if you, it, he's basically a souped up version of last year, is what this game was, where he, he makes some, some errors that just really annoy you. But he's going to follow that up with some really fantastic plays. And you just kind of got, just kind of have to live with it. And yeah. that's all right. You got to shrug your shoulders and say, yeah, well, we take him. Whatever. Yeah. Uh, I, I think that's probably the best approach to take. Uh, Keontae Johnson, second on the team in scoring with 15. Uh, it took him a while to get going in this game. And really from the field, he never really got going. Uh, played 35 minutes, uh, only three of seven from the field. Made his one three-point attempt, eight of 10 at the free throw line. Uh, had 11 rebounds with his 15 points, so he gets a double-double. Two fouls, three assists, four turnovers, uh, and a steal. Turnovers continue to be higher than you'd like for Keontae Johnson. I get that some of it is that we use them a lot. So the more you have the ball in your hands, the more likely you are to turn the ball over just because you're going to be controlling the ball so much. But there also is just a pretty serious issue with uh, ball security for him and uh, losing the ball, getting stripped uh, when he's going down the lane or driving at the basket. But 
still has a really good day for uh, K-State despite some struggles uh, and not doing as much as you would love to see on the offensive end, but 15 points, can't complain. Yeah. Um, next leading scorer is actually Bebe Agiola. Uh, I completely forgot that he was like the number three starter in scoring, yeah. uh, but yeah, he had seven points, which I think that says a bit more about how the rest of the starters were doing. Uh, he had seven points, two or four from the field. He is listed as attempting a three. I do not remember that happening. I don't think that happened. If, if it if it did happen, it was like an end of the shot clock thing, and he didn't make it. So, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and, but and then yeah, he went three or four at the free throw line. He's been mostly reliable at the free throw line. I will admit, every time the ball leaves his hands, like I don't think it's going in, but it does like seventy five percent of the time. So that's all right. Uh, he had five rebounds, one foul, two assists, zero turnovers, and a block. So all that in 19 minutes, that's really not bad at all. Uh, only missed two shots. I uh, do think he got like stuffed at the rim once. Uh, like, yeah. And then I think he might have missed an easy uh, layup as well. But still, he, he, he held his own for the most part. And 19 minutes didn't turn the ball over. So that's fine. Naquan Tomlin played 21 minutes. Had four points, two of five in the field, 0 of three from three, two rebounds, four fouls, one assist, two turnovers, a block. Um, missed uh, some open threes uh, in this game. And then his other shots, he had a really nice drive to the bucket from the wing on an ISO play uh, where he did like a Euro step and everything, which is still really weird to like, watch him do that because people that big shouldn't be able to do that. Yeah. But then his other one was, uh, I think, a lob dunk. And uh, that was really it. We didn't get a lot of Naquan Tomlin offensively uh, in this game. Would like to see more. Um, would like to see him maybe clean it up a little bit because uh, he does have some pretty bad turnovers occasionally. But yeah. still, uh, it's, it's just an okay performance. But you really would like to see more. Uh, and then Cam Carter uh, rounds out the starters at three points. One of six from the field, one of four from three. Had a foul, two assists, two turnovers, two blocks. Again, he's really turning into the defensive stopper of this team, but very inconsistent from the field. Uh, some games he'll hit everything, intent, and then some games it feels like he's missing wide open layups, and it feels like that because he is missing wide open layups. So, but only one three in this game. I think it was pretty early as well. Uh, but. Again, he brings so much defensively to the floor that that's why he's playing 31 minutes, which was uh, uh, behind only Marquise and KJ. Yeah. So that's the starting five. Then you get two, you know, pretty sizable contributions from 22 minutes for Ish Masood, was five of six from the field, two of three from three, one rebound, one foul, two assists, one turnover, 12 total points. And we'll touch on it now. The, the nickname that the team has given him is Big 12-ish because he's just been nuts during Big 12 play. I still prefer Swish Masood, but, you know, you can call him what you want. But he really is. And this extends to the next game we're going to talk about, even if the result wasn't what we wanted. Like, Ish Masood, whenever you need a clutch three, he'll hit it. If you need, like, a meaningless three, it's like a th- like three and ten shot. But if you need a clutch three and it's a gotta have it kind of possession, yeah, he'll hit it. And he'll sometimes the net won't even move. <laughs> but that that was ish. 
Then 26 minutes for Desi, got two of five, 0 of one from three, 0 of one on his free throw attempts, four rebounds, three fouls, two turnovers, four total points. Then Tyke Green and David Gasson both ended up playing five and four minutes respectfully. David Gasson ended up getting vibe checked by one of the players. <laughs> In his first game back from injury, he ends up getting hit like the guy was a middle linebacker. Was this Acho? I think it was. Bacho. Bacho. That's right. You yes. were very close to, to be fair. Yeah. So yeah, Bacho kind of drilled David Gasson like he was a middle linebacker. I'm honestly surprised it wasn't an F2 upon seeing the replay. It was just an F1. But you know, that's not what you want to see coming off of an injury. And then he didn't play versus Iowa State. So I don't think it reaggravated it. I think that was just out of an abundance of caution. But at the same time, ow. <laughs> yeah. I, that definitely should have been a flagrant two on Bacho. Uh, he was very lucky. Uh, I, although I guess it, it's kind of a ball don't lie situation. He didn't really do a whole lot in this game. Uh, six points, four rebounds, three offensive rebounds, which was really infuriating because Texas Tech had 23 offensive rebounds in this game, which is completely unacceptable. But yeah, uh, nice to see David Gasson back. Uh, Ish Masood, I just did some quick math. It might be wrong. Sue me uh, if I'm wrong. But uh, Ish Masood, uh, 57% from three in Big 12 play. Um, he has been absolutely just on another level, uh, especially these last few weeks, uh, including like the most recent game uh, since uh, the KU game. Two of two, two of three, four, five. He has missed. On ten to ten, he is uh, eight of his last ten from three in Big Twelve competition, which is just absolutely nuts. Shooting one hundred percent, sixty six point seven percent, eighty percent the last three games. He has been just different. And also, I think another thing about Ish is it's not often you see him fill up the stat sheet the way that he did. He had a rebound. You'd like to see him get more, but that's just not his role. And I'm not going to ask him to do that. Yeah. Only one foul in twenty two minutes. Two assists, just one turnover, and another block. Uh, and he's also really amping up his defensive contributions. He's really become a super valuable piece of this team and deserves a ton of credit for that. Uh, so, I mean, we we don't do MVPs really for basketball, but he probably is the MVP of this game. Probably. I mean, just big play after big play, big three after big three. I say big three after big three. He made two, but <laughs> they were still big. Technically, you're right. Big three after big three. I mean, that is all right. Anywho. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, then he uh, made a couple other shots. Really solid night for our Masood. Yeah. And, you know, Texas Tech isn't the greatest squad this year. They're putting it like I think they'll, they're almost too good to not put it together, at least somewhat. And there were times in the game that they were putting it together against us. We had just ended up beating them. But I, no school in the Big 12 is bad, I don't think. I don't even think that there's an okay Big 12 school. I think all of them are at least good or above average at basketball. So, you know, every single conference dub is is important. Yeah, and Texas Tech, I know this is a K-State podcast, but just Texas Tech, they're still winless in Big 12 play. Uh, they just lost at home to West Virginia, and that was probably the easiest game left on their schedule. And other... I guess we'll see what they do against uh, LSU this weekend because LSU has completely collapsed. Yeah. Uh, so I remember when we thought that was going to be one of our better victories. 
Yeah, Nevada ended up being the much better victory out of the Cayman Islands Classic because they just took down top 25 New Mexico State uh, in overtime. So they did that. Tech, I don't know where the wins are coming from for them. And I, I think I kind of agree with you that they're not a bad team. Uh, I think if there was a team to qualify as an okay team, it has to be Texas Tech because even schools that we still see is on the lower end, like Oklahoma State, Oklahoma, West Virginia, like those schools are superior uh, to Texas Tech. I mean, they Texas Tech lost to OU at home. Uh, so random, the tangential Texas Tech rants, I guess. But I, I, I just really wanted to like point out how I, I, I think it just adds to how incredible the Big 12 is because I think you watch Texas Tech on a basketball court and I do really think that you look at them and say that they're an at least average team yeah. in any other conference. They're a middle of the pack squad. Like if you drop them into the ACC this year, they would honestly be in the upper third of that conference. And, <laughs> and that, I think that, that's an indictment of the ACC. <laughs> yeah, that, that is a bit of a dig at the ACC. I'll, I'll be honest, but tech, they went from top of the world, uh, the national title to having a really good season. The, uh, new uh head coach last year to all of a sudden he's on the hot seat so it it just shows you how quick things can change i guess but man what a what a crazy big 12 year it's been so far uh men's basketball i should have made this talk after the uh next game but (laughs) it it just was it was it was topical i guess yeah and speaking of craziness in the big 12 we go to the next game which unfortunately was a loss in the first half of the farmigan basketball rivalry in Hilton, that is up against Iowa State, was 80 to 76. And first and foremost, K-State just didn't say die like we're used to seeing them do in, in games that they end up losing. They very much collapsed and Butler collapsed against TCU. They at least didn't quit this game, so that's a form of progress. But I'll uh, I'll, I'll take the, the starters for this time around. Marquise ended up playing 38 minutes, six of 17 from the field, four of five from three, seven of eight from his uh, from the free throw line, two rebounds, two fouls, nine assists, four turnovers, 23 points. Turnovers again, you you want to see that lower, but I guess a slightly above two to one ratio, you can take that. Can't say that for KJ though. He played 34 minutes, six of 12 from the field, zero of two from three. Three of six on his free throw attempts. Yeah, we'll, we'll talk about the free throws in a minute. Uh, Ten rebounds, three fouls, zero assists, five turnovers, 15 points. Can't have five turnovers. That's been KJ's weakness the entire year has been turnovers. And granted, like you said earlier, it's because we're trying to force the ball to him a little bit, but still you can't have that. Cam Carter quietly had an awesome day. 29 minutes, perfect five of five from the field. One of one on his threes. 4-4 from the free throw line, one rebound, four fouls, two turnovers, 15 points. Naquan Tomlin, 32 minutes, two of three from the field, two of two on his free throw attempts, three fouls, two assists, six points, no rebounds. We'll talk about it. <laughs> Abayami Isiola played 13 minutes, one of one from the field, three fouls, two turnovers, two total points, no rebounds. You want to talk about the rebounds now or do you want to talk about the bench players? Um, well, before we even talk about that, I do want to mention Cam Carter having probably his best game of his career oh, yeah. um, offensively. But on one hand, he's perfect from the field. But this is something Jerome Tang said earlier in the season 
about Keontae Johnson and something about the hot hand. And I think it also rings true here with Cam Carter. And it's that if he shoots perfect from the field, like if he's five of five, he should be taking more than five shots in this yep. game. And when Keese is six of 17 and Keontae admittedly had a pretty solid game, but a lot of that comes late. Keese and Keontae, it felt like kind of slept walk through the beginning of this game uh, at times. And uh, there was just random intervals where it felt like the team was really not putting out the effort necessary to win. Uh, and, but Cam Carter, maybe that's a point in the game where you try to get something for Cam. Uh, you, you need a spark, and Keese and KJ aren't getting that to you for whatever reason. You know, Cam Carter, if he's perfect from the field with 15 points, making his free throws, um, and playing really good defense, he should be getting more than five shots in a game like this. Maybe I'm wrong, but I he started out so hot. And then we just didn't really see a lot of him after that. And I, I, I think that the game plan maybe needed a little bit more Cam Carter in some ways. But now we can talk about the rebounding. Is <laughs> uh, man, uh, zero rebounds for Naquan Tomlin, zero for Abai Miagiola, and then spoiler alert for uh, the bench stats. Uh, Ish Masood also had zero rebounds. That is not acceptable at all. That's nope. awful. I get that sometimes, you know, they're going to go for a rebound. It gets tipped around and goes to somebody else. Like KJ had 10, uh, he said two, but one of those three guys that are tall with long arms and that can box out and stand around the basket and put their hands up to try and reach the basketball. They should successfully complete that motion at least once in a game. And just once one time. Yeah. Like, but three goose eggs. I mean, that's awful. Um, that that's no secret to them or to Jerome Tang. Like, like, like this isn't like earth shattering information or anything, but it's just unbelievable to me that you among those guys, I mean, Tomlin plays 32 ish plays 27. Bebe plays 13 and, and all that time you can't get a rebound, which I, I, I think is harder to do than otherwise. Like, like, I think it's more difficult for them to get zero rebounds, like the three of them, than it would be like to accidentally get one. <laughs> like, yeah, uh, I I'm really, really frustrated with that. Um, Iowa State's a really good team. Um, we know that and we have known that, but that's still no excuse for uh, a really poor rebounding performance. Yeah. What do you have to say about it? Ace? Yeah, I. I without getting into my thoughts about the game on the whole, we goodness gracious, the free throws and the rebounds both killed us because if we, if we hit four more of our free throws, if we, if we are 84% from the free throw line, we at least tie the game. I'm about to sneeze. I'm going to try and hold it off. If we get just an okay free throw percentage, we probably win or tie this game. We ended up shooting 68% from the free throw line. You can't have that. That's not acceptable. And just having only 20 rebounds and having three of your biggest guys. And I know Ish Ish isn't your traditional rebound getting guy. He's a little slight for that. I, I honestly kind of view him more as just like at this point, just guy who hits threes on occasion and plays some pretty solid defense. But Bebe and Naquan not getting any rebounds. That's 
especially with how freaky of an athlete Naquan is. And I, I think the biggest difference was Nate, like if, if Naquan had, you know, four fouls and was playing with three or four throughout the entire game, I would get it because, you know, caution, but it's not like he was playing with three fouls the entire game. And it's not like that he was, he just, I, I feel like sometimes Naquan kind of puts a leash on himself to where he's like, okay, I, it's almost like how high, like if a high schooler goes and plays with a bunch of elementary school kids, he's going to have to put a, he's going to have to put a, a lid on it a little bit so he doesn't hurt anybody. I feel like Naquan, it sometimes kind of does that where he gets told to do that. Yeah. I mean, I, I, I'm pretty thoroughly disappointed with the uh, rebounding performance free throws. I'm honestly not really that upset with 68%. I'm more upset with the fact that we're shooting 52% from the field, 56% from three and losing. And yeah. I, that, that is what annoys me because Iowa state does shoot slightly better, uh, 5% better from the field. They made three more shots from the field on one more attempt. They shot 57%, but they only shot 31% from three. They only made two more free throws than we did, but that shows how slim the margin is. You know, Keontae Johnson, we can't afford to have him have these random games where he just doesn't have it at the free throw line. We need Desi Sills to be able to knock down at least one of his two attempts because he got, he went to the line. He missed two in a row and that's just not okay. We can't afford to have Ish miss free throws, although he granted got the announcer's curse because they put up a graphic that said he was 10 to 10 on the year from yep. the free throw line. Then he immediately misses one. So that's frankly out of Ish's control. But the beyond that, I mean, this was a very winnable game. I'm not really at the point. I'm like, I'm not even close to really being upset about it. I'm very disappointed that we lost. I'm sad that we lost, but it hasn't really changed my thoughts on the team as a whole. Like we, like we were ranked fifth. We lost to a team that is frankly underrated. I think in Iowa state, I was shocked that they were not in the top 10 this week. I, I think that they should have been, but they ended up ranked 12th and we played this game in Hilton. So I, I don't feel like this is a controversial opinion. If we play that game in Bramlage, I think we probably win handedly. And the good news is, is that we do play them in Bramlage. Yeah. I, I, I totally agree with you. I think that this game played in Bramlage probably uh, ends up as a K-State win. I think you replay it in Hilton. I think it's another Iowa State win. If you played on a neutral floor, the game would quite literally never end because it would just continue to go through <laughs> overtimes forever. An infinite loop of just pain and agony. But I beyond like, like this particular game, yeah, it sucks to lose because we'll probably drop in the polls a little bit because Florida, like as long as we don't lose, that's really not going to affect our ranking that much. Um, because they're just not a fantastic team at all. Um, but I mean, it is encouraging that we shot really well from the floor. Uh, six of seven from three in the second half is fantastic. I mean, 56 in the second half specifically, 56.5% from the field, 85.7% from three. And then we upped our free throw percent from the first half, uh, to 73, uh, from the free throw line. So we shot really well in the second half but i would say got to the free throw line uh, a little bit more than we did got one more shot up made a, a couple more they just got a few more shots up than we did that one fewer turnover in the game um that five blocks uh but the big thing is that they were really able to uh control the boards fairly effectively 
That's another thing. I mean, granted, I mean, that's obvious from our big men not being able to get rebounds, but they got nine offensive rebounds uh, and they got 17 second chance points uh, compared to seven for us, which isn't even terrible. I mean, like seven's like not like, oh, no, like we can't do it, but you can't have a disparity like that when a game. And what that tells you is that our first shot defense is really good. This is, uh, this is not original point by me. Many have made this point this week, but our second shot defense is not good granted second shot defense is one of the hardest things to do in basketball because the defense breaks down and you're supposed to have the ball and then if you don't have it there's it's pretty difficult to plan for that eventuality because you're supposed to be getting ready for a fast break and so they get the offense going so it's not a natural position to be in but it regardless you just got to find a way to get the rebounds like it's it's that simple i i hate to be be that guy you know the, the figure it out guy but <laughs> unfortunately that is kind That's of the best it. advice i have in this regard figure it out yeah like, the guy at every baseball game that just like every time that like somebody like looks at a strike it's just like figure it out like that's well, that's like thanks. the least that's like the least helpful advice in human history but <laughs> it also does kind of ring true here and i mean like some of that i've seen a lot of I shouldn't say a lot. I've seen some discourse about burning Jarrell Colbert's red shirt. I have mixed feelings on that. For one, I don't think we need to. And two, even if we did, that makes it a pretty crowded uh, room uh, down low. Uh, that's a lot of that's a lot of guys to to work in. Um, granted, I get why people want. Jarrell Colbert on the floor but at the end of the day we don't necessarily know for a fact that if he were to step on the floor right now that he would be able to do what he did in the exhibition game because the end of the day the exhibition game is against Washburn, Washburn. yeah which we, we, we watched a former five-star recruit dominate a d2 school go figure like wow <laughs> like, like that, that that's the least shocking thing to ever occur that's not me saying he's a bad player. That's me saying we don't know what he is because we're not in practice. The only people who know what he really is are in the Ice Family basketball training facility. So I don't get me wrong. I'm sure Drill Cole would be a really fun player if we burn the red shirt. But at this point in the season, unless there's like serious injuries, I don't think we need to burn his red shirt. But that's just either. me. I don't either. I, 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 I was sad when when they announced that Jarrell Colbert was redshirting because I was really excited for what he could have been. But then I kind of looked at the roster and I saw David Gasson was kind of playing his role. And I'm like, that's like, that's four people that we could have play there. Yeah. So like, I, I'm not sure. Like if Gasson was out for the year, I could understand it, but he's not going to be. So, yeah, and I, I understand that I understand the the angst around the rebounding and just thinking, basically throwing stuff at the walls like, well, something has to work. I'm not sure burning Jarrell Colbert's red shirt is really worth that, especially because Bebe has gone next year. And I think Gasan is as well, isn't he? No, he's actually fairly young. Oh, I, really? I say fairly. He I think he's maybe a junior, maybe. Oh. So he's got more time. Okay. Allegedly, allegedly, but yeah, I, I, this game 
as as frustrating as this game was, this isn't like a burn it down kind of loss. This is an understandable one. This is I'm not going to say it's fine and I'm not going to say it's a moral victory because neither is true. But at the same time, if you're going to pick a game to lose, yeah, I guess I would accept losing to a top 10 what should probably be a top 10 team at yeah. their at their arena. This was a game that I did not expect to win going into it. I I did not ex- I did not personally think that we were going to win in uh in Ames. I was hopeful and optimistic and I was still trying to like keep the positive like mindset because Drum Tang we're, we are now supposed to expect to win. So mm-hmm. I was trying to do that but also realistically really good team that can probably poke at some of our weaknesses which they did. Uh, despite us not playing a fantastic game, uh, we still were really punching all the way until the end. Uh, and this was a very close game all the way up until the final moments. So, I mean, you can be proud of the effort and say, you know what, we did some things well without it being a moral victory. Cause I don't love moral victories. Like just because I think that they're easy to target like for other people. And, but it's, it is what it is, honestly, at this point. We lost on the road in one of the toughest environments to play in in the Big 12 to a team that's really good, and we didn't play our best basketball. So, And we're still missing David Gasson. And that's fine. Yeah. Like You never want to lose, but that's a game that when you're doing the math, thinking, all right, what games can we like, like budget for losing? This is probably one of them. Like that you look at like when you're forecasting like how your season goes, but like we need to win X amount of games like to win the big 12. Cause that's our, that's the math we're doing at this point. Like we need to win this game and this game and this game, but we could probably afford to lose this game. This is one that you can probably afford to lose. Yeah. Which sucks. I don't like saying it because I don't like losing Iowa state, but you know, it's the big 12. You're going to lose some road games. Like, yes, yeah. that's simple. Yep. Plus, still have the entire season ahead of us. But yeah, the the next game for the men's team is up against Florida this Saturday, the day after this comes out, and then of course the coveted matchup up against KU in Lawrence. I think Iowa State has to play them in Lawrence too, right? Or have they already done that. Iowa State has already done that, and they lost. Hmm. Let's see, but yeah, it, it back not bad. Cats, Catsketball is still doing well. Now let's let's kind of move into the the women's Catsketball. Starting off with the victory up against TCU, who is, I'm, I, I, listen, it was a 64 to 48 victory. TCU is without a doubt the worst team in the conference. And I, I expect zero pushback from that because I think it's objectively true. And you could make a pretty convincing argument that TCU is a bottom third program in the country in, in women's basketball. So I'm not going to say we should, yeah, they're really bad. I'm not going to say that we should have won by more. However, <laughs> I really would have enjoyed if we won by more. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. This TCU squad is straight up bad. Like there, there's no getting around it. I think like they're six and 13, they're zero and eight in big 12 play. Uh, they did not have a particularly fantastic non-conference slate they went on the road to play at north carolina got destroyed 
lost a home game to South Florida, lost a home game to Sam Houston State, lost to Rice, lost to Missouri State. Like they are yet to be a quality opponent this season. And that's because they're not a good team. And this is a game that we should absolutely win every single time, despite us not having a good season. If we had lost this game, I would have that that would have been Armageddon. Like, I think, <laughs> like, I, I, I cannot imagine what would have happened if we'd lost this game, but TCU is just not good. So, luckily, we were able to work our way around that. But, yeah, solid performance needed to pick up a dub pretty badly, pretty desperately, I'd say. But, yeah, uh, yep. Gabby Gregory ends up playing, you know, 29 minutes, five of 14, three of nine from the field, eight of 10 from, from the free throw line. That's not, amazing percentages you know 21 total points though serena sandell 31 minutes four of nine from the field of three from three 12 total points jalen glenn has quietly emerged to be like the consistent third option that we keep talking about shame that it's just not really mattering because the production from the other two has kind of stepped back a little bit which like i i don't want to pin all the losses on those two because it's not on those two you think it's a team game you know maybe someone else should step up but Jalen Glenn has been consistently good as, as a third option. She had 11 points this game, three of seven from three. Uh, her twin sister, Briley, 29 minutes, two of nine, not great, five points. Sarah Shamatsi, she hasn't really regained that Iowa form. We, we keep referencing back to the, the Iowa game because she was nuts that game. She only ended up getting two points. And then you have a bunch of, you know, kind of take it or leave it. Rebecca Dollinger hit a three. Uh, Heavenly Greer played 12 minutes, one of three. Liza Maupin, still one of our favorite players, only played four minutes, made her one field goal. You know, it a lot of perfectly fine, acceptable winning stat lines. Yeah. Shamatsi really stuffed the stat sheet in non-scoring ways, at least. Had uh, three rebounds, four assists, zero turnovers, uh, three steals as well. Uh, so that's that's good. She's really only had, in terms of major offensive production, the Iowa game, and then she uh, had her best game of the season against Oklahoma State. Uh, she had like 25 in that game, I think. Yeah. But yeah, other than that, not, not really a ton of notable performances from this game. Um, 17 assists and 12 turnovers as a team. We shot 33% from three, 37.7% from the field. Uh 84% the free throw line. We've always been a pretty good free throw shooting team. Um, Yeah, beyond that, I mean, you go down the line, lots of okay performances, not a lot of big standouts. Everybody kind of doing a little bit. Uh, but yeah, glad that we're able to uh, pretty much handle this one. Uh, from the first quarter on, like build a lead at half and then just pretty much control the second half. Uh, nice for the team to do that. But end of the day, you know, this isn't a major needle mover of a game no. at all, just because I, I just don't think TCU is a quality opponent. Yeah. Well, TCU may not be a quality opponent, but, you know, the next game I feel is uh, is a little more alarming honestly, to me, and that is a loss up against Oklahoma State down in Stillwater. It was 82 to 74 loss. 
Okie State's a better team than we thought they would be going into this year because last year they were they were pretty bad. But at the same time, it our expectations have been seemingly lowered by so much. It, it's this this one is disappointing to me. This is remarkably disappointing to me because you know we, we didn't shoot awfully from three you know 38.1 percent 42.9 from the field that's not great 90 percent in our free throws and you know they ended up shooting 40 percent from three so it, it we can't pick but we can't have a complete game at this point one week you and i are having to complain about the the threes another week you and i are having to complain about the defense and at this point it's just I don't like dumpstering on the women's basketball team because I think it has a lot of great pieces. And I think it's, it's a great, like, I think it's a great team. I think that has a lot of great temp chemistry. I think that a lot of the people on the team are genuinely like cool people. They seem cool. So I don't like dumpstering on them for the same reason. I don't like dumpstering on any K-State sport, but at the same time, like, come on. <laughs> Also, I have to go grab a charger real fast. I'll be right back. Stall for time. Okay. But yeah, this has been a frustrating stretch for uh Casey women's basketball. I mean, you I mean, you still pick up that win against TCU, which is all well and good, but I mean, this is a, a game that I get it's on the road. Oklahoma State is a better team this year than they were last year, because last year they were pretty abysmal. And we didn't even shoot terribly, like Ace said, uh, from the field. Uh not a bad performance at all 38 percent three is actually pretty good but just couldn't convert as much as we needed to uh 16 turnovers to 11 assists that's just not acceptable uh Oklahoma State they turned it over 20 times in this game and we only had 16 points off turnovers they had uh 27 points off turnovers they were able to capitalize off of our turnovers significantly more than we were able to do the opposite uh they yeah, rebounded us 35 to 26 uh, free throws. We made the exact same amount threes. They made two more than we did. I uh, made three total shots more than, than we did. I mean, this is a really frustrating one to lose. Uh, if you're, if you're K state, because uh, Serena Sundell has a pretty good performance in this one, 21 points, seven to 13 from the field, seven of eight from the free throw line. Uh, other than that, uh, Bradley Glenn is an awful in this game. Shimatsi uh, was good. Shimatsi was good as well. Um, she does foul out uh, in just 27 minutes. Um, Gabby Gregory comes off the bench in this game, uh, but plays 32 minutes, uh, which is interesting. So you have to speculate that's either something with her injury, but that doesn't make much sense because I think she's sick. I think they remember like they were saying on the broadcast that she was sick. That's interesting then because she still played 32 minutes. She played starter minutes. So maybe, I'm not maybe she threw up once and felt better. <laughs> that could be and that could be true. I don't really know, I guess. But <laughs> she had, she didn't have a fantastic day. Three of eleven from the field, oh four from three, just eleven points, five of five at the free throw line, had four turnovers and five rebounds. It seems like teams have kind of started to figure out figure her out a little bit more uh, in Big 12 play. Um, but yeah, this is a this is a really tough one to lose. If uh, your K-State women's basketball, I mean, you go down by 11 in the uh, first quarter, 25 to 14 after one, and you claw your way back uh, into the fourth quarter, but 
just too little too late i guess in this one but yeah that it's got me very seriously concerned about the rest of this season because we are on the brink of not making any postseason play at this point. We've very rapidly gone from being a top 25 ranked squad that's taking down ranked competition, like a really good Iowa team that's still ranked and hanging with about everybody and doing really well, only losing to Arkansas non-conference. We get the big 12 play and it collapse two and six and big 12 play halfway through uh, the slate. That's really, really tough. It, and the Big Twelve is 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 good at women's basketball, but it's not it's not like men's Big Twelve basketball, where pretty much anyone in any other conference is going to get waxed by like comparable rankings in the Big Twelve. Like, I think probably the best Big Twelve school beats the best, like maybe with the exception of maybe Purdue and Alabama. I think they beat the top end of any other conference. I, it's not like that for, for women's basketball. You, you do have the really good squads like the Baylor, the Iowa States, the Texases, but you also have the Oklahoma States who are fine. The West Virginias who are not very good. Uh, if it's sounding like I'm naming losses, it's because I am. Texas Tech who's, eh. Baylor who's, you know, good. Texas and Baylor are both very good. And we have we still have to go to Lawrence. You have another game up against Iowa State playing at Lubbock versus Oklahoma, who I believe at one point was ranked this year, playing versus Baylor at home. It's still Baylor. And the only gimme that's left on the schedule is, you know, going down to Fort Worth. If we lose to TCU, I'm I, I have to sound the alarm bells. I don't think we will, but like it, it it's, it's frustrating to just kind of see this collapse in Big 12 play when I know for a fact that this squad has the pieces. Like it, The roster hasn't changed, and they had the pieces at the beginning of this year to be a top half of the conference kind of team, and we're just not seeing that come to light, and I think that's the worst part. Yeah. Uh, and it definitely hurts that this year we've given up the second most points in the entire Big 12 uh, this year. Uh, uh, the only other school uh, that comes close is Iowa State. Granted, we have played, uh, it seems like, a, a larger chunk of games than a lot of other schools have. Uh, like Oklahoma is 16-3, and three, and then we're 13-8. and eight. So we... We've played more games than, than they have. Uh, not sure why, but okay. Uh, and so, but but regardless, this defense has definitely struggled. Um, Anton has been giving up 82 to Oklahoma State. That's really rough. Uh, but the offense also has its fair share of issues. Uh, just really cold nights, and there's teams that we just cannot get around, like Texas. Like they just have our number in every sense of the word. And most of it is athleticism and just, I mean, they, they have, there's just things that our program can't do right now that theirs can, we'd have to put in a lot of money to get to their level, basically. But the Aggieville Alley cats are coming in hot to make sure that this basketball squad competes with Texas. (laughs) 
Well, if we had the means, <laughs> make, make sure if we to had buy the means, we would make a wrestling so team before we did that. Don't let's not lie to ourselves. We would make a wrestling and softball team before we did that. I definitely want to do do that. I think, um, assuming it would be like sustainable, not a massive strain for the, the athletic department. Like, if I won the lottery, I think starting a wrestling program might be something I'd want to do. But because there's so much talent in the state of Kansas, but it just go it just goes elsewhere because yeah. we don't have a wrestling program. Neither does KU. KU doesn't either. That's neither here nor there. That so hopefully the next time we talk about the women's basketball team, it's it's a little happier. You know, they they play in Lawrence this Sunday. KU has been a surprisingly good, like has been kind of the surprise Big 12 school this year. They've been good. And then playing Iowa State in Bramlage, you get a you get a free reversible bucket hat if you show up, like first 600 show up. So That's I'll be getting deal. a bucket hat. <laughs> I'd go. If that was the case. <laughs> if I were a student, I'd be there for that bucket hat. So you should be too. Yeah. Yeah, that, that's the women's basketball team. And now we can talk a little bit about previewing the Batcats. It's going to be kind of more of a, a mini preview as opposed to the, the previews we did for, you know, uh, men's and women's basketball and, and football at the beginning of this year. It's more like a mini preview just because of the nature of baseball. It's... I don't think that the nature of how baseball works in college is really conducive to a full preview, but we, we can talk about a couple of things. Firstly is that the preseason big 12 poll came out today. K-State ended up being picked seventh to, or being picked to finish seventh in the big 12. The only schools below us were KU and Baylor in that order, which is so weird that Baylor is bad at baseball because they're a Texas school. It's like so they they could honestly just throw a rock in any given direction and probably hit like an MOB draft pick because it's Texas. But you know, pick seventh in the conference. So how do you I guess the first question is do you think that's too high, too low? Do you think that's about right? Or how do you feel about you know that that positioning? Honestly, that was higher than I expected. I fully expected this team to be picked eighth or ninth. And I pleasantly surprised with seven. I still think it's high based on what we know about them, unless that has something to do with the teams that are lower than us, more so than us, (laughs) because there's so many unproven commodities on this roster there. We don't know a lot about them. Uh, Granted, uh, KU is arguably in a worse spot in that regard uh, because they were just utterly atrocious last year and they uh lost they're really only consistently good player to the transfer portal in maui ahuna i think he's a tennessee now i think he is and he was he was really good but it takes nine (laughs) in baseball like you can't have this one dude really carry the load so i i am surprised happy about it but i i don't know if i expect it but I'm just going to have to see more from this team because last year we really got uh, excited, I think, for the team. We were really hype. Uh, and we were and we were telling people, too, we, we thought it was going to be a really good team. And I think that we had a good deduction. I think we had good reason for that. However, <laughs> it did not turn out to be correct when we were not within the friendly confines of Toynton Family Stadium. 
granted when we were when we were in Toynton Family Stadium, we were generally a really good product. <laughs> yeah, we, we in Toynton, we were probably like a top three program in the Big Twelve. Yeah, like we were a very tough team to beat when we were playing at home. However, when we would leave and play anywhere else on earth that is not the host site of the Big 12 tournament in the postseason, <laughs> then we really struggle. But yeah, I this team's going to have to find a way to win on the road, which we said last year. If this team can find a way to not, they don't even have to be average. They have to be below average on the road. All we need is for this team to not be generationally terrible on the road. <laughs> Just be below average on the road. Like pick up a few. Just go on the road. Just win one. Don't even worry about winning the series. Just get one, one win, win a single game. That like per series. That that's all you have to do. And if we can do that with like a moderate degree of success, then we will stand an outside shot at being okay. And that right now is my scale because we just don't know enough about this team. I think. A lot of transfers in, a lot of young players, a lot of interesting pieces, admittedly, and a few returners that I would say uh, are quite good, but we need to see how the team fills in around them. Yeah. So uh, for reference, the full preseason poll was TCU number one. They ended up getting five first place votes. Uh, Oklahoma State, two, four first place votes, only two like poll points separate those two. Texas Tech third, Texas fourth, Oklahoma fifth, West Virginia six, us seven, KU 16, and then Baylor 14. Uh, there's one point separating us from KU and three points separating us from Baylor. You want to hear what makes that really depressing? Yes, both, yes. Both, <laughs> both KU and Baylor both have brand new coaches this year. And we are only three points separated from the bottom. Yeah. I, I think that does say quite a bit. And we did make pitching or a pitch coach change in the offseason. We have a guy now named Rudy Darrow replaced our old guy. Uh, don't know really. He was what a high the, school. I think he was a high school pitching coach he from Oklahoma. Was. Yeah, he was. Uh, he was the Norman, no, Norman North High School assistant coach last year. And the year before, he was at Central Oklahoma. Then before that, at New Orleans. Um, so he does have college experience at least, but he he spent 2019, 2020 at Central Oklahoma, took a year off, and then was assistant coach in 21, 22 at Norman North. So that's not me saying that he's not going to be good. That's just me saying that it's, I think, an in-network choice for Pete Hughes because he was also in a, a volunteer assistant while Pete Hughes was at Oklahoma. So I think he made a comfortable pick there. I can't speak to if Rudy Darrow is like a generational hidden talent as a pitching coach. I would take that. I would, I would absolutely allow that. Rudy Darrow, I, I hope that you're an eventual Hall of Famer. I, I hope that you're the greatest pitching coach to ever live. But I'm looking forward to seeing if that's the truth or not, because we just don't know is the thing. He ha doesn't have a ton of experience. He's a younger guy and was just at the high school ranks. So it's a bit of a risky hire, but who's to say? Who Who's to say what happened? Yeah. 
Yeah, for for where I think we're we're ranked, I honestly I would have liked a little. I would have liked a few more votes separating us from the bottom. You know, from two teams that have new head coaches that were both pretty bad last year. But I can't say I don't understand. <laughs> yeah, I can't say I don't get. I I would take issue with that ranking if we played every single one of our games at home, but. We don't. <laughs> yeah, if we played every game at Toyton, we'd probably make the NCAA tournament. Yeah. <laughs> like last last year and the year prior, we make the NCAA tournament if we play every game at home. Like I I, I that's just a fact. I truly think that because I mean, gosh, last year we were a fantastic team at home. Uh the year prior uh was a similar story. I mean, yeah, last year you went twenty one and seven uh at home. And the year before we were 24 and seven. However, last year we went six and 17 away from Toynton and all, all, we lost a lot of games on the road uh, in conference play. Uh, we got swept at TCU. We got swept at Texas tech. Uh, we won one at Oklahoma and then we got swept at West Virginia. So we won one conference road game all of last year. And what's even more crazy is that that's actually an improvement from the prior season uh, where we did win one more conference road game, but we only won three total away games a whole year. We went three and 12 on the road in 2021, 2022, one more games. We had more shots, but we still won more games, man. This team is built for Toynton family stadium. They, this is a team that is built specifically for one stadium, and that is Toynton. And we have to find a way because it's not just batting, it's not just that we hit a lot of home runs at home. We pitch better, we pitch better at home, and that doesn't make sense because Toynton's a better part. Yeah, Toynton is the, the ultimate batter's park, like without like being like completely gimmicky, like it's like. 330 i think to like the the corners i think i think so like that's like fairly short but it's not like atrocious but it's pretty short so if you pull it it's probably gone but so you think that would like make the pitching like worse for us at home but no it's it's actually quite better it's it's the opposite but i don't know what to make of that man What, what a fascinating dynamic i i wonder if they know what the issue is but they just can't figure it out. But like, like when I say figure it out, I mean like fix it. Like figure it out. <laughs> I would like them to. I would like them to figure it out because if we figure it out, then we might start winning on the road more. Again, I said we don't have to be fantastic on the road. We just have to be okay. okay. Be fine. We just need to be okay. We need to be average on the road. That's all. Like the bar is low for road performance. Yeah, we'll we'll see if we can clear it. I okay. I am. I have no expectations nope. in that regard. Nope. Whatever happens, happens. Yep. So that kind of speaks to the next question, but looking looking at the roster, we had one unanimous, we had one preseason all Big 12 pick in general, and it was unanimous, and that was Nick Goodwin. So, you know, congratulations to Nick Goodwin. He is a, a really good, pretty consistent power bat at shortstop. You know, he's he's been one of our better power hitters. At the same time, I I feel like every single like 
there's not a day that goes by where I don't think that Kalen Culpepper is becoming one of the most underrated players, not only on the team, not only in the conference, but in the country. Because there, I honestly think if you watched the games last year, I'm not sure if the stats back it up, but there were a lot of times where I'm like, oh, Kalen Culpepper is the better player. Like Kalen Culpepper probably objectively should have been playing shortstop over Nick Goodwin next year. And that's not a slight to Nick Goodwin. Kalen Culpepper is just that good defensively. <laughs> Kalen yeah. Culpepper might well be the best player on this team. Kalen Culpepper, I think, is somebody that will be an MLB uh, draft pick um, at one point or another. Um, and if you do look at the stats, which I am doing right now, he did last year, Nick Goodwin, uh, for K state batted 255, uh, with an OPS of 878. And then, uh, Kalen batted 283 with an OPS of 784. Uh, Nick Goodwin had 57 strikeouts. And uh, that was in 247 plate appearances. So he struck out a lot. And Kalen Culpepper in 191 plate appearances struck out 27 times. So a lot better there. But then we can also compare uh, summer leagues uh, because that happened uh, this uh, this offseason. Nick Goodwin, he went 269. Uh, uh, 815 OPS, six home runs, 22 RBIs. He struck out 40 times in 171 plate appearances. Uh, so K rate suboptimal continues to be at that point. That's just Nick Goodwin. Yeah. But Caitlin Culpepper, he had a fantastic summer. He bad in his, uh, summer league, um, Bluefield, um, trying to figure out this league, the Appalachian league. Uh, he bat 299 with an 896 OPS, uh, hit two home runs, uh, had 140 plate appearances. Uh, he had 19 strikeouts, 27 walks. He, he was good. He was good. He really, really was. Caitlin Colt, um, was the most played, underrated player in the conference. I'm, I'm saying it. And in those 29 games, he played 13 at third base and 16 at shortstop. And uh, Nick Goodwin, he uh, this summer played second, third, and short. Uh, two games at third, 27 at short, 13 at second. At short, he committed eight errors. At second, zero. Go figure. And then Kalen Culpepper uh, at third base committed zero errors. And then at short and more games committed four errors. So he had a 941 fielding percentage at short. And which is better than Nick Goodwin's 925. So again, small sample size, different league. But I think this is, this has been what we have desired for a while. You, especially you, you've been pushing this for a long time and I'm fully on the bandwagon and it's, we need to like take Nick Goodwin and push him somewhere else, somewhere else being second base. Move the second or third, put K at shortstop. Take the slicker fielder. Yeah, put Kalen and push him somewhere else, meaning shortstop. <laughs> and then take literally anyone else on earth and move him somewhere else, meaning third base. That's it. 
That, that that's what we would do with the infield. That's that's literally it. Again, that's with our knowledge. Maybe there's some reason that that isn't happening. Maybe Kalen wants to play third and Nick wants to play short and they're fine with that. And that's how it is. That's not what I would do, but yeah. we're also not college baseball coaches. <laughs> you know, we, we talk about, we're the only people that talk about KC college baseball for the most part. So I, I don't even think it's for the most part. I think we're the only people that, that talk I think, about it. I think Scott references it like once in a blue moon, if we get like a big win, but that's about it. But that's not a slight at him. I mean, that, that's just that's just kind of been our thing to to do the non revs, I guess. But I mean, Cam Culpepper, that's very optimistic. I'm I'm optimistic about those uh uh summer league numbers. Uh only 19 strikeouts, 140 plate appearances, especially compared to uh Nick Goodwin. That's pretty good. Uh, and I, I really like seeing that. Uh, and I also like seeing him get split experience uh at a third and short. I, I really, really like that as well. Um Range factor, that is a thing where lower the better. Yes. I believe so. Okay. I I'm not hundred percent sure, but he had a four two one at short and a two three three at third. Uh the Kalen Culpepper. But any we should probably move on before this becomes like a 30 minute rant. But yeah. out, outside of K and Nick Goodwin. The, the notable returners are catcher Rafael Pelletier, who's probably the starting catcher. Orlando Salinas, who kind of came on towards the back end of last year. Uh, and then Herman Fajardo is probably the biggest one in the pitching rotation. But yeah. like it, there's... I, I, I look at this roster and I see a bunch of like, oh, like, well, this guy's solid, this guy's solid. I'm not sure if there are any like stars on on the like. There's no Dylan Phillips. There's no Jordan Wicks. There's no. I'm not even sure there's an Eric Torres. I we get a bunch. Granted, there's one. Like, so there there are two unknown commodities in in the pitching rotation, and that is the lefty from Minnesota uh, Northwestern, Owen Barima, who was like a three time. D3 All-American Pitcher of the Year type. So I imagine he's probably penciled in as a starter. And then Jackson Wentworth, the guy who we kept saying, like, oh, he's going to be so good. He was drafted. He's going to be so – we never saw him. But he's going to be back. So those are the two unknown commodities that probably fill out the, you know, the the primary starting three. It's probably going to be – probably – I'd say Herman Fajardo probably has earned number one. Probably earned that first spot. Borma's probably second, and then uh, Wentworth probably three with Rothermel being spot four. So I think we're more likely to see Griffin Hassel take oh, uh, Hassel. spots over Hassel uh, four. Fajardo. As I I do think K State would much rather keep Fajardo as a weekday starter and a weekend reliever because I think relieving is a strong suit at least from what we've seen, although he can be a spot starter and be really effective if we think he's going to attack a lineup well. Because yeah. uh, he had some fantastic performances last year. Uh, he had a handful where he was just dominant, but his dominance generally stretches about three to four innings. And that makes him super effective as uh, or like a closing reliever. Like this guy would have killed it 
uh, with um, relieving for Jordan Wicks. Like if it had literally just been Eric Torres, if it had just been Herman Fajardo instead of Eric Torres, I don't think we would have skipped a beat, honestly. Like, can you imagine how disgusting that line would have been if it went Jordan Wicks, Herman Fajardo set up Eric Torres closing? I would have just like, I would have surrendered. <laughs> like, like that, that, that's going to dub that day. Yeah. Yeah. That, uh, that particular pitching rotation was just almost a guaranteed dub if we got any production from the bats. But yeah, that, that's probably the main, uh, pitching guys to to talk about i mean you go up and down again you got a lot of new faces and a lot of new guys some of that probably has to do with uh uh with a new pitching coach so you probably lose some older guys because of that uh, that were loyal uh to the old guy a lot of uh freshman pitchers more lefties this year than we had last year we god we correctly identified that we were in desperate need of left-handed pitching and we had we only had like three last year, including Dylan Phillips. Yeah. And uh, no, now we have, five. <laughs> yeah, we have five now. And that's not including Dylan Phillips because he's in the MLB system somewhere. And uh, so we uh, we we do have a few more than uh, Burma uh, lefty as well. So lefty starter in all likelihood. And then yeah, you mentioned Wentworth. I, I'm I'm excited about Wentworth mainly just to see if he's legit because we've not seen him yet. So if he can do something, that would be fantastic. I would absolutely love it if he could be like our number two starter. Like if that's a possibility for him, I, I'd be very, I'd be pleased with that, I think. But there's a lot of other guys on this roster that contributed last year. Blake Corsentino, he had uh, some solid outings. I remember him, I seem to remember him doing okay in the Big 12 tournament. Might be misremembering that, but um, uh, it's been a while since that happened at this point. At least this is a fun uh tournament team. We know this team's gonna make it to like the semifinals of the Big 12 tournament and yeah, from the no losers reason. bracket and like just like fight and claw their way uh to the <laughs> to the uh semifinals to no good reason for it, but they just do it. No, they there there will not be a reason for it, but they will do it. So but yeah, this is a an interesting team, uh a lot of potential, I think. Uh, another interesting name uh, that I've not seen his statistics at all, but I'm seeing it for the first time actually just now is Corey Cater, uh transfer from Trinity University. He's a right-handed pitcher, 6'6", 235. I'm mainly interested in the size there. Uh, so stall while I look up his baseball reference. Okay. Uh, and there are, there are other interesting pieces as well. I The thing I'm most curious about is if Tyson Neighbors retains the closer spot that he had at the beginning of last year. And if he fixes the fact that every single time he pitches, he has to induce at least three heart attacks because he's going to walk three people and then strike the next three people out without giving up a run. If he fixes that, I he's a good closer. But if it's not him, I'm not sure there's there's like an because Tyson Neighbors is a prototypical power pitcher. He has fastball. He has really good slider. That's Tyson Neighbors. So, you know. Unless one of the young guys, like you know Mason Bus, steps up to be closer, which I I would take, <laughs> but I think Tyson Neighbors is probably the day one closer. But probably, probably, I I think that he's probably the the day one closer. I mean, we don't really know for sure. I guess uh, it could be Ty Rule because he's also on this roster as a pitcher, and he was a, a primary reliever last year, so. Could be a guy like him. I wish that 
there is like an Eric Torres on this roster. There could be, but we just don't know about yet. Because I remember Eric Torres kind of came out of absolutely nowhere. To, yeah, he started off the season bad. <laughs> yeah, he, he was like approaching drinking age with his, with his ERA for a while. And he... And uh, he ended up having a fantastic year, and he's been really, really good. I haven't checked in a few months, uh, but last check, uh, back in like August, I think, he was killing it in the uh, the Angels uh, minor league system. I think he'd gotten his way up to double A in like a year. So good for him. Jordan Wicks has been moving up pretty quickly too. But Same system that uh, Phillips is in, the Angels. No, yeah, that's true. I didn't even think about that. But all right, I got Corey Cater's stats, and... The, the one takeaway that I have uh, from his college statistics is that I don't know what to make of them at all because they're very inconsistent. Oh, boy. Like, there's a, a freshman season of a 165 ERA and 32 innings, okay. uh, 32, two, 32 and two thirds, uh, 42 strikeouts, 11 walks. Like, that's that's good numbers right there. Uh, zero one, 0.918 whip. Uh, really like to see that. Um, and then 2019, another pretty solid year, 255, 74 innings pitched, uh, 70 strikeouts, 29 walks, uh, whip a little higher, 1.189. Uh, but then you come to the most recent season, uh, which was 2022. He played five years at this place at Trinity, Texas. He did not have a statistically good year at all. Uh, in 48 innings pitched, uh, 731 uh, ERA. That That is pretty rough. Uh, 60 strikeouts, 37 walks, uh, 16 wild pitches, uh, 1.938 whip. So my my wonder is why is it that his worst season up until that point was a 2.55? And then out of nowhere, he has his worst season by far. And then transfers I, out. Yeah, and then transfers out. I'm I'm curious about the the reasoning behind that. Like like what what happened there? So maybe we saw something in him. Uh, he played one season of summer league. Uh, was not particularly good. It seems like they tried to use him as a starter instead of as a reliever, which it seems like he was a primary reliever throughout his career, and that does not seem to have gone well for me. An eight three one, which that was in 2019. So it's been a while since then, anyways. But I don't know. Interested. And what he can bring to the table. I just wanted to go down that rabbit hole because I honestly had not seen him on the roster up till that point. But they just uploaded the pictures maybe like yesterday because I checked this two days ago and there were no pictures. Yeah. Only other roster note I have is we did lose Elgin Bennett, which that was like one of the few baseball like uh, commits that I feel like we really like kind of covered in depth because we were super excited about it. He would have been a true freshman, would have been one of the fastest players in the country. Yep. And instead, it's chosen to transfer to a community college. Which what that means is that he probably is going to get the NF to the, the MLB the, <laughs> the MLB in uh, probably two years because he can get the MLB a little bit faster through community college than he can through uh, four year school. So really, really, really sucks because uh, I would love to have him on this year's team, but he probably got told by some scouts, "Hey, go spend two years at a community college, do okay, and you'll get drafted." So yeah, I got. I don't, I'll never blame someone for, you know, going somewhere where their their career prospects are better. <laughs> yeah, it, it, it's a shame. He would have been a huge help to this team. I was really looking forward to watching him perform this year. I was excited to watch him, uh, but that, that's just kind of how it goes. You know, 
baseball, just got to try and find your way into the draft. So I get it. Yep. Don't blame them at all, but okay. So I, I feel like that's good enough for a bat cat preview. Maybe we'll expand upon it a little more at some point, like literally right before the season starts. Maybe we won't, but now we can move on to the wacky segment of the week. And this one is actually a fan submitted wacky segment of the week from punished Caleb on Twitter. You may know him as the guy that every single transfer receiver, he types in wildcat in a quote tweet and then every single free agent receiver or receiver trade target, he types Packer for the NFL. So, uh, you know, Con- he's one of Connor's people. He's a Wildcat Packer fan. Though uh, Connor likes the Chiefs a little more. <laughs> I'm a dual fan, always have been. Yeah. But his question or segment was, build the absolute worst away Big 12 basketball experience possible. And what he means by that is the most abjectly miserable to attend. And you, there are four aspects to this. Take the court itself, the arena, the fans, and the team you're playing against. But you can only pick one part of a school one time. So say you pick TCU's court, for example. I'm taking TCU's court. Uh, <laughs> I can't I'm also take... taking TCU's court. Spoiler alert. <laughs> yeah, spoiler alert, because that... That thing is an abomination. You can't pick anything else from TCU. So would you like to go first or would you like me to? Uh, You go ahead and go first. Okay. So firstly, I'm taking TCU's court because if you like, honestly, there are very few courts that I look at and almost instantly get a headache. It's them and Oregon, but I think TCU's is worse. And also they're the big 12 school. Like there's there's something horrible about that court itself that just hurts me in a very personal way. So TCU is going to be the court. The arena, I think, is going to be Allen Fieldhouse. And I think that a lot of it has to do with the fact that there are areas of Allen Fieldhouse that are very simply falling down. Plus, we're we're making this basically our own personal like torture chamber, basically. So I I feel like the number one way to hurt me would be to stick me into Allen Fieldhouse, which is why I will never go to any game at Allen Fieldhouse, no matter who is playing them. I refuse to do it on matter of principle. (laughs) In terms of fans, this one I feel like is actually kind of tough because you actually gave me a dimension to think about before. But I'm going to let you take that dimension because that you brought it up to me. I think that the fans that I would hate to be with the most is actually probably going to be, I, I'm going to change my answer from what I said before. It's going to be Texas fans because interacting with Texans fans in, in any variety is, is misery, abject pain even, and the team. So who is the most miserable team that I could play that we could possibly play against? I'm not even saying this because I think it would be a loss. I think the most miserable team to play against for, for K-State would almost certainly be either West Virginia or Iowa State. I'm going to give the edge to Iowa State. And I know that that could be a little bit of recency bias because of how much not fun I was having watching the Iowa State-K-State game this last week. But if you somehow managed to stick me in an environment that had TCU's court in Allen Fieldhouse 
with Texas fans that are somehow rooting for Iowa State, I I'm not sure I would I feel like that would almost be worse than serving a presidential term in the Vietnam War. Like I would walk out of there physically aged. I, I already look like I'm 35 and I'm 22. I'd walk out looking like I'm 60. I I God. <laughs> yeah. You you said a few that I think are really good. I'll try and stay away from your picks for the most part. I do have to also say TCU court, though. I just think that's the I truly think that's like the only really good option. All the other courts are at worst, like not notable. Like, I don't think our court is particularly great other than like I like the like like octagon thing that they do like on, on the baselines. But other than that, I don't love our court, but definitely TCU's court for the worst it's just absolutely atrocious in every single way and it also seems to really mess with like color balancing sometimes i think mm-hmm. for the the cameras so like the like color especially in the past has never looked fantastic at those games um arena this could also be tcu um, but <laughs> but it, it will not be because uh we have to play by the rules i'm gonna go with the lloyd noble center for ou i've heard that this is a not good arena at all I've, I've heard that it's like kind of sterile and just not a particularly great environment to play in and for me the worst experience possible is going to be a boring one and so i'm rolling with lloyd noble center partly for that reason also because they you could have said fans for this i guess because like they don't really fill the arena very well so it would have been a, it'd be a pretty boring experience it wouldn't be great uh and there's also been rumors like like i just looked it up like there's rumors that like they're thinking about like getting a new arena, but we'll see if that actually happens. Fans, I I had to put a lot of thought in this because I do really like a lot of the uh, Big Twelve fan bases, um, but I'm gonna have to um, make make a difficult decision here uh, because there there there's not many that like I I think that like would truly make it a a dull experience. Like, like, cause for me, that's the worst experience is a dull one. Uh, granted, um, uh, I, I could do another one. I won't, but I could where it's a, an annoying experience or like, a that's really what I went for. Yeah. I'm going for like, just like a dull, boring, like this would just be a bad experience. Like objectively, like fans who makes it like that bad, like to the point where it's boring. I probably shouldn't have said OU for arena or TCU for court because like those are both great picks here. And so change uh, it. I'm not. I I will I will stick <laughs> to 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 my guns here. Um, which is a shame because uh, <laughs> this has become a very difficult uh, situation. Uh, I I have put myself between a rock and a hard place here, <laughs> but I'm gonna roll with Texas. I think. Uh, last year, especially, their fans were just atrocious. Uh, and this year, they haven't really been that great either. Their student section's like right on the court, which is kind of cool, but that's an arena thing, not a fan thing. And other than that, like they're just such like there's such a lackadaisical fan base about basically everything that isn't football. So it is what it is. Then team, uh, gotta be Texas Tech this year, just because they slow the game down so much and they're not very good. Uh, it feels like watching a, like a K-State team, like a Bruce Weber K-State team in the last 10 years, except 
without any of the highs, like they they just aren't good. Like like there's no offensive skill, there's no rhythm or flow to their offense. They just kind of exist on a basketball court and occasionally make a shot or lay up or something. And occasionally. Sometimes yeah. they middle linebacker you. Yeah, sometimes they have dirty players that want to go take out your uh your your recently returned from injury uh starter. Hey uh, guys, I am back. Oh <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, that, that that's my my final picks is uh TCU court, um OU arena, uh then Texas fans, and then Texas tech team. Uh, this is kind of all this year specific. Yeah. Yeah, so that pretty much wraps up this episode of the Aggieville Alley Cats podcast. Thank you all so much for listening. If you want to follow or contact the show, you can follow us on Twitter at Aggieville A Cats. That's capital A, capital A, capital C and Cats. We're on the road to 1,000 followers. I believe we're either 32 or 33 away at this point. But uh, you know, we are 29 away. Uh, we have 971 followers. So if you've not followed yet, now now is your chance to get in before we hit 1000 and officially become gargantuan so gargantuan indeed so. but if you want to follow us on a more personal note i'm at ac edwards zero zero i'm at connor balthazor capital c capital b and if you want to support the show financially please be sure to check out the official aggieville alley cats merch store where you can find such designs as play sandstorm cowards the staff approved doom tang clan and neon alley cats but most importantly, thank you all for listening to this episode of the Aggieville Alley Cats podcast. Where come rain, shine, or anything in between, we're here to deliver to you the Kansas State sporting news that you still love. Stay safe, Alley Cats. <laughs>